if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Romans uh, chapter 3. It's where we're going to be. I'll pray and we'll, uh, we'll get right to work. Lord, we thank you for this first Sunday of the month. We're grateful that we get to be in this building with the larger family and rejoice in what you're doing. We thank you for little Alina's baptism and for her expressing faith in you even at such a young age. We're so grateful that you're speaking to young and old. We're so grateful that you even choose to speak to us. So we invite your Holy Spirit of God to teach us the scriptures, show us what God is like so that we can walk in his ways and we can make a difference this week as you send us out all over the city that we will be your people living out your mission, living out your pattern of living, walking in step with you. That's our heart's desire, God. So we ask that you would do that in your name. Uh, amen. Well, we're going to continue on in Romans uh, chapter 3 this morning. But if you've been here for a while, thank you for sticking it out because over the last three weeks we've covered some pretty uh, complex topics. Uh, topics like righteousness and justification and redemption and adoption. And if all that's foreign because you just stepped in, we've got a free podcast where you can listen in. But thank you for sticking it out because you don't need to know, this isn't a test, you don't need to know what those words mean to love Jesus. But at the same time, we do believe that the more you know about what Jesus has done and he's doing, it does affect the way that you and I live. So remember that through, through faith in Jesus, I am declared to be where God is. God is righteous. He's in the right. And so by trusting Jesus, somehow I enter into God's space. And that means I'm redeemed from slavery. My own choices bind me up. But somehow faith in Jesus sets me free so I can live the way God intended. And, and the way that happens is my sin, my rebellion, it's been atoned for. It's been paid for. It's been covered. It's even been removed. That was the last three weeks. Now, in light of that, Paul's going to turn the page and talk about how you and I are called to live. So Romans 3, verse 27. How do we, how do we live? If all this is true, how do we live? When, where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, a lot going on here because Paul, he has this logical progression. He does it again and again and again. It's how people communicated in his day. You'd, you'd answer these rhetorical, you'd ask these rhetorical questions, and then you'd shoot back your answers. So we're going to see four questions. Write them down. Four questions that will help us think about how we ought to live in light of all that God has done 
in Jesus. First question is this. Who can brag before God? Who can brag? Remember, Paul's writing to a mixed church, just like we're a mixed church. We don't come from the same background. Some of you have a long history of reading the Bible and studying the Scriptures and life in prayer and the Holy Spirit, and you know what it's like to live with God. Others, you're just trying to figure out if faith has any value, if Jesus makes any difference, and that's totally cool. They were the same kind of setting. Some came with a long tradition of Bible and fulfilling all the things that God had said we ought to do. Others came from different religions altogether. And so Paul says, in light of our righteousness that comes from God and justification and atonement and redemption, who's better off? If you have background or if you don't have background, who gets the better deal? Look at verse 28. It, it, it focuses Paul's big point. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's faith in what Jesus has done that brings life. It's me trusting what's already happened that brings me from the wrong to the right. So following the law, having the heritage, it's all good, but it's not ultimate. It's not ultimately good. So let me just give you an example. Who's got the right to brag before God? Last, uh, last year, the Blazers made it to the playoffs. Theoretically, it could happen again. Theoretically. And so... So I got a phone call out of the blue when, when they had a home game uh, of a friend here who had tickets to the game. And so he said, hey, do you want to go to the Blazers game? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And so I had no idea how good the seats were. So just by faith that he wasn't like yanking my chain, like he wasn't playing with me, I went to his house and got in his car and, oh, actually these seats had like you drive like into the garage and like you get off at the nice place and you don't go to the normal, like where the people are. You go and you're like little separate door and the next thing you know it, we're right by courtside, a couple rows up. I'm like, yes! This is awesome. This is the only way I want to experience a game. No more cheap seats, you know. And so actually the game's better, by the way, when you're at eye level. And so I did what you would do. I lost my voice. I just yelled and screamed because the excitement of the game, and they actually won that game. Now, the tickets were a gift. Do I have any right to brag? Like, I, I could go home and say, yeah, look at me and my, well, actually someone else's, courtside seats. If they're a gift, I get to enjoy it. It could bring joy, and it could bring hope, and it could bring all sorts of good things, but actually, I got no reason to brag because it wasn't mine in the first place. And trust me, I could not afford those seats. And, and that's just a game. Let's just think of life and God. God does all of this himself. He comes in Jesus and rescues us out of our own sinfulness when we don't want to leave. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus does this for us, and that leads, that leads Paul to another question. Number one, there's no reason to boast before God. Nobody can because it's all gift. But the second question is equally important. Who did God come to rescue? Now again, all this is 
he, these are questions we should think about. If, if all of this is done by God, who did God come to rescue? Look at verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised, that's the Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised through the same faith. So God declares people can live with him in the right, not because of their background, this is huge, not because of their background or even because of their obedience. So those who come from the heritage where they had God's Torah, God's way, and obedience to God is important, yes or no? Yeah, it's, it's like really in life-giving and important. But Paul wants to make a huge point. The good news is good because if you have the heritage, it could set you up for faith. But if you don't have the heritage and don't have the background and your story is not littered with Bible and church, but with all sorts of things that you look back at now and say, I don't know if that was good, there's good news for you as well because the same faith expressed in God, the same hope and trust in Jesus sets everyone free. So remember the big picture. This good news is for everyone. Number one, we have no reason to boast. In light of what God has done, we should just be grateful. But secondly, we got to remember, and I have to remind myself, this isn't just for me. The problem with searching for God for personal satisfaction, and that's a good thing. You're feeling uneasy and you're wondering if life in God will change things. It will. But if that's the goal, to be personally satisfied, you've actually missed the heart of the good news. The heart of the good news is that God loves everyone everywhere. It's why we're emphatic about giving, not just money, but giving our time giving our energy, giving our prayer, giving our involvement to what God is doing all around the world because what God is doing around the world is bigger than us. And so we don't exist as an end to ourselves and we don't just exist here to feel better and grow better and have God's life invade our life. That's all good, but that's only part of the good news. Paul, and by the way, he's speaking here probably to the Jews in the church, because the Jews had, just by their background and heritage, a sense of, it's, it's not healthy, and not everyone, but as a culture, a sense of entitlement. You see, because God had come to their forefather, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and God had given Moses, not anyone else, their forefather, his very words. God had rescued them from Egypt, not anyone else. So because God's attention was on them, it subtly came to their mindset and their psyche that they had an advantage. Can I just remind you, if you've been going to church your whole life, you have absolutely no advantage in that God doesn't love you any more than anyone else outside this building. Now, his love for you is big. His love for you is generous. But his love for those who are pushing him away is equally vibrant. And we, as a people, cannot forget that. It's why we talk about Jesus all the time. Is because some people have yet to experience life in him. What I love about this church is, I love our name because it starts with a number, which is pretty cool. You know, 26 West is not where we end. 
we were very intentional about renaming the church. It was called Sunset at first because it's not an exact place, but it's more of a region. Because we just believe that everyone matters to God. And at this point, I think of 26 not as a traffic jam, although that happens on occasion. But to me, whenever I'm driving on it or going over the overpass, I think of it as a big runway. It's just a big runway. Now, don't land a plane on there. That will cause havoc. But I think of it as a runway. It's where we start and where we come back to. It's, it's a part of what God is doing, but not all that God is doing. And so we as a church want to step into this. Who did, who did God come to rescue? He came to rescue everyone. So our heart breaks for Myanmar right now. And our heart breaks for Uganda right now. And our heart breaks for other places we're involved right now. Just as it breaks for Hillsboro and Banks and Forest Grove and Cornelius and Beaverton and everywhere else that we come from. All right, those are the first two. We have no reason to boast. Secondly, the gospel is not just for us. It's for everyone. So we need to broaden our view. Third question that Paul lines up with. Okay, this is an important one. What do we do then with the law? If Jews don't have an advantage for keeping the Bible... We'll call it the Bible, for keeping Scripture, then, then what do we do? Look at verse 31. It may shock you. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? If faith is what saves, not keeping the law, but not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. See, following the law, doesn't, it doesn't make me right. God is not looking at a list. And if you... If you're able to check off 10 of the 20, you get in. Or you're stuck until you get all 20 out of 20. That's not how God judges. But at the same time, we don't throw it out. It doesn't put us in the right, but rather we uphold it. How do we know what God is like? He's shown us what he's like in giving us his very word. How do we know the difference between right and wrong? He's shown us. How do we know how to get back when we blunder and fall? It's all there. So we're not a people, and some have done this in church history, who said let's just disregard the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Writings, because we have Jesus. It's all about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and forward, because if you're not careful, if you read the Bible, you can get the sense that before Jesus, people gained closeness with God by working hard. And now in Jesus, they now come to him by grace through faith. It's actually not true. And Paul's about to make that point with two examples. But I want us to remember, because Jesus completely fulfills and upholds the law, now... By the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live up to who I am already called to be. In other words, if God wants me to live in love, if God wants me to express his love before life in him, it was going to be a real challenge. But now that I know him, it's not that I throw out how to express his love. No, no. now I have the actual ability by the power of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to live up to who I am already called and that is a child of God. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. So the difference is Jesus actually fulfills God's teaching completely. 
The Ten Commandments, he keeps perfectly while I seem to break one after the other. So I don't throw out the Ten Commandments or all the other words of God to us. I don't throw them out. Rather, I look to Jesus. And I'm not looking to myself to say, like, if I get it right, I get in. Rather, I look to Jesus and say, Jesus always gets it right. I'm with him. I'm now standing with him. I'm not perfect, but I'm with the perfect one. So, so Paul doesn't tease this out. So he says, uphold the law. He doesn't say how. He's going to wait, and he's going to come back in chapter 7 and chapters 8. He's going to tease out how we live out the law. So we'll wait for that. So the first three questions we've already done, we're already up to question number four. I know you're thinking pregame show is just a few hours away. Some of you don't care. I just want the food, practically. Question number four. What does genuine faith look like? Okay, so he's teased out. How do we live this out? So if life in God is by faith in Jesus, what is that? I mean, put some like tangible things on that because faith seems like a blur and it seems like something that I can't see with my own eyes. So what Paul does is genius. In chapter 4, he points to the two icons that Jews would look to as the examples. You want to know what faith in God is like? You want to know what it is to walk by faith? Two people, Abraham and King David. So why don't we just read chapter 4 and the first few verses. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So he's going to use the first example is Abraham. Why Abraham, a couple of reasons. Remember, he's writing to a mixed church. There are Jews and there are non-Jews. And the Jews seem to lean on their heritage as the reason why they had a special place. In one sense, because they were fully honoring God by keeping the law, they wouldn't say it, but they're slightly better than those Jesus followers who don't keep circumcision, who don't keep Sabbath day, who don't follow the Jewish festivals. So what Paul's going to say is using their own icon, their own hero, he's going to look at Scripture and say, we need to read it with the right set of lenses. In other words, they saw Abraham, but they saw the wrong thing. So in Paul's day, um, the Jews looked at Abraham as the perfect example of the man who keeps the Torah. Abraham obeys God Fully. If you look at Abraham's life, he's the one who obeys. But secondly, also the Jews look to the law of Moses. So what, what Paul does is genius. He goes back to Abraham and says, before Moses even got the law, let's look at the guy that you said was obedient, but let's look at it with a fresh lens. Look at verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. 
Now, he quotes from Genesis 15, and he's going to use this word credited again and again and again. It's the word logizomai, and it's an accounting term. You see, by the Spirit of God, Paul learns how to read the Scriptures. This is so encouraging. It was already there on the page. But it wasn't until Jesus' death and resurrection that the Holy Spirit of God could open people's minds to see the fullness of what was already there. This was a thousands of year old text. But now that Paul has the Holy Spirit, he sees the full picture. Abraham believed God and it was credited. It was logizomide. It was counted to him as. It means when you give someone status that they didn't have before. Think of me in the courtside seats. That was logizomide to me. I didn't have it, but my friend put it in my account. Therefore, I could sit in that seat and no one else could enjoy. It was mine. It was placed in my account. Think of a banking term. You know, you don't have enough money in your account and you have a bill and someone could put money. It's not your money, but they could put it in your account so that you get to pay that bill or do whatever you need to do. So Abraham trusted God. He believed. He didn't have the law, but because he believed, he believed God's word to him. God puts rightness in his account. Now you're going to see this word credited, credited, credited all over chapter 4. We'll look at most of the rest of chapter 4 next week. But Paul uses this as the logic to say, no one has a reason to boast. Your forefather, Jews, Abraham, just because you come from his line, it gives you no advantage. Why? He didn't earn anything. He didn't, he didn't live up to anything. He trusted God and God put something in his account. Look at verses 4 to 5. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift. In other words, you can't have it both ways. If you work a job and your employer pays you, is that a gift? No, like you earned it. And there's an expectation. As a matter of fact, not the one who trusts, um, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Your employer is obligated to pay you because you have an agreement. You work the hours and you get the pay. And, and what Paul's reminding the church is that what God has done in Jesus has nothing to do with us earning a way where God is obliged to give us anything is absolute gift. However, verse 5, to the one who does not work, in other words, has no reason to expect, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. And this is the mystery here. This is the paradox. God is in the right. We are not in the right. God is holy. He can't be where evil is. But by grace, God steps into our evil story and makes us right. He doesn't wait for us to become godly and then say, welcome to the club. He steps into my evil. He steps into my sin. His love is looking towards me in my weakest state. And God in Jesus sets me free. In other words, you come to Jesus just as you are. Mess. You don't clean it up. You don't sanitize it. And please, you don't pretend it doesn't exist. You come to God with every bit of brokenness 
And the good news is that Abraham does the same thing. He trusts the voice of God. And God speaks to him. I'm coming to you and I'm going to bless the world through you. Do you trust me? And Abram, who becomes Abraham, says yes. So the foundation for all biblical faith is trust. It's not that Abraham and Moses and David were on a different system. No. It's completed in Jesus because there's no one like him. But God has been saying the same thing again and again and again. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? So Abraham is credited with rightness with God because he believes. So salvation has always been by faith. So he uses Abraham as the example. He's going to come back to Abraham in a second. But he goes on to King David. Look at uh, the end of verse, or look at verse uh, 6. Now, David says the same thing. So he's the two heroes in, in Jewish history. No one greater than Abraham and no king, no king better than David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from one of David's psalms, verse 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And he's going to go on and we'll look at verses 9 and following next week. And in one sense, David did have something to brag about. Uh, David heard from God and expanded. They lived in the land of promise and David had expanded the borders. David had defeated all of God's enemies. David had brought the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, into the center of community life. David is a man after God's own heart. So Abraham, you think, man, he, he must have earned his way. And Paul says, no, it was by faith. And David, if you look at his life, he certainly earned the reputation of a man who's after God's heart. Until you read the psalm. And then you realize the real David, the David that we see his soul exposed in the way he does his music, three times in this psalm, he admits he's in the wrong. He says, I've, I have transgression. He says, I have sins. He says he has things that God should hold against him. So David's account in one sense is full of sin, just like the rest of us. But God in the psalm, gives David, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sins don't count against them. So David experiences the same thing you and I experience. Abraham heard from God, heard God's word, trusted him, and he's in the right. David, who is, yeah, a godly king, but he's also uh, an adulterer, and he's also a murderer. He conspired to have Uriah, the, the honest, full of integrity soldier, husband of Bathsheba, he, he had him killed. So on one account, David's a great guy, but he's just like the rest of us. He's got a good side and he's got a darker side. But his account is filled with righteousness by faith. Okay, 
So that's the four questions that I wanted us to look at. I want us, though, to tease this out and give us a little more space to do that. If you look at Abraham, you look at David, you look at Romans 3 and 4, there's two ways you could take this. If you read Romans, you could read it as a book that is about, or a, a letter that is about you. So what can I learn about my faith in Jesus? So how can you be justified and how could you be redeemed and how can you be atoned for and how can you be forgiven? And in one sense, it is about you. Romans was written to you. But I want us to pause because remember Paul's writing to a whole church and remind you that Romans is written about us. And I want to make the case that it's primarily written to us and then it's written to you. Why does that matter? It's the example of Abraham. Why does Paul go to Abraham? It's because of the promise given to Abraham at the beginning of his journey with God. Abraham, from you is going to come a line of people. It's going to be so big, it's going to be more than the, the sand on the seashore. It's going to be so big, it's going to be more than the stars in the skies. From you, there's going to be a movement that's going to be so big, my blessing, God says, it's not going to come from anywhere. It's going to come through your line. You're going to be about something, Abraham, that is bigger than you. Your family is a blessed to be a blessing family. And why is that important? Because sometimes we narrow down all of the Bible to what am I going to get out of it, and we lose the we part of it. I want to remind you that the heart of the good news is that you have been brought into something that is bigger, bigger than you. You've been brought into a very real family. The heart of the good news is that you and I have been invited into God's global family. This is so important and this will keep our faith from getting off course and becoming something God never intended. Our family, the, the family that we enjoy is made up of every race. It's made up of every language. It's made up of every tribe and tongue. God has brought us into something that is bigger than America. And it's bigger than white suburban life. You and I are connected to God and to his people all over the world. And that's why, let's circle it back to the beginning, there's no reason to brag there's no reason for any of us to boast because God is doing something. He's redeeming the whole world, all of creation. He's remaking it into what he intended. And at the end of the game, read Revelation. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And the way the Garden of Eden was supposed to be lived out for all of human history, which is broken by sin, God is going to make it happen. But until then, he's going to use a people to see it happen in part. In other words, there are people who have yet to experience life in Jesus and he brings you into the family so that you will be a blessed to be a blessing person so that your life has changed. Yeah, you were in the wrong and now you're in the right. But why? Why? Because God's mission for your life, whether you feel like it or not, is to be used by him as a part of his family to see other people rescued. So we have no reason to boast. It's 100% grace. It's 100% gift. 
And as a church, God wants to reshape the way we see following Jesus. Trust me, I'm kind of teasing you towards next week where we're going to find ourselves when we get back to Abraham. What is your faith about? Let me just ask it a different way. What, what brought you to 26 West Church to begin with? Why did you come here? Why are you here now? It, it could be because this church has fill in the blank. Something got you here. Or this church doesn't have fill in the blank. You wanted to get away from something that another church was maybe involved in. I just want to remind you, and it's good when we're all together in one room, that we're just one church. You see, having no room to boast means having the right view of who we are as one of many Jesus-loving communities in our city. That is, God looks with love on all of his children. So, yes, we have a killer sound system. I, I'm not, I'm not going to deny it. I glory in listening to music that is here. But you know what? I've also listened to praise with 20 to 30 people with nothing but rags on their back and broken wooden benches under a mango tree in rural Uganda, lifting their arms in praise and dancing in praise. And I wonder which is more beautiful to God. See, we have no reason to boast. Just because we have some things doesn't give us any sort of position. And, and the reason I say is because I found that with every year as a church, rather than growing in humility, I am more tempted to grow in bragging and in pride. It's so subtle, I, but I get asked all the time, hey man, how are things going at, at 26 West? And what's the first, I just, I just, I just lay into it. I got a whole thing. Let me tell you. Let me, and then I just get into all that God is doing. And, and here's numeric growth. And here's financial growth. And here's growth and mission. And here's, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's the best place to be. And, and I actually do believe that, sort of. I believe that this is the best place that I should be. But at the same time, as I hear myself say it, it just sounds like pride. Now, I'm not saying that to you. I'm just saying, that's where this text hits me. That it's so easy to make the good thing that God is doing in your life about you and turn it around. And rather than being humble and saying, man, I'm just, I'm just grateful that God's doing anything, anywhere, in any way, and he's including me, I again and again make it about me and make it about pride. In reality, all this is grace. And I'm not here to pry into your story, but I can tell you a little bit of mine. And Jesus has to remind me with texts like this. Jose, Abraham had nothing. It's all grace. Yeah, I used him. Moses had nothing. And it was all grace. David had nothing. The disciples, the apostles had nothing. And Jose, I love you, but the whole thing's just not about you. And so even our faith can be twisted if we're not careful. And we can make it all about us rather than, wow, God's been good to us for the good of other people. Well, here's another way we can look at this text. There's no room for boasting. This election season has exposed the cracks and the darker side of life here in America. Like nothing else I think I've ever seen. Now, there's so much good happening in our country, so I'm not negative and I'm not a pessimist. There's so much that we can celebrate 
But we are kidding ourselves if we believe that we live in a unified city. We're kidding ourselves. And we're not going to be so naive as to think that there isn't division where we live. So there's real racial division. There's real economic and political and social divisions in our city. And if we're not careful because we just live in part of it, especially if we live and work in a predominantly upper middle class neighborhood, you can be blind to the reality of the division that we are walking in. But here's the good news. There's no reason to boast. See, we're the people of Jesus. So in a divided city where people want to respond with hate for hate and protest for protest and yelling for yelling, you and I, because of Jesus, can respond in a different way. Paul says to the church, Jew and Gentile, none of you can brag It's all Jesus, it's all grace, and so we can apply this in our own world. You may have more than someone else. Don't brag, don't boast. Apart from Jesus, you wouldn't have it. And let's be honest, apart from Jesus, you can't keep it. You may have nothing and feel like you have nothing to give the community. Don't believe that lie. You have Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to accomplish the mission of God. God can and will use you despite your apparent lack of resources. We all are in the same place. We were rebels, but we were justified when God looked down on the ungodly. And if there's ever a time where the church can rise up and show what it's like to live in peace, can I just suggest this? In light of texts like this, maybe we can learn to live in peace with one another and model to the world the better way to understand and embrace our very real differences. Maybe we can show a world that just wants to scream and yell for their rights that there's a bigger view, there's a bigger picture. We're humbled that God would even look at us. So we've received grace. Now what is it? going to take. Yesterday I was reading in my through the Bible reading. um, I'm just reading through the Bible all year long. And I got to Matthew 23. And this is where I want to land as we prepare our hearts for worship. Jesus teaching about leadership. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the gospel according to Jesus. So what is, what is servant-like life? What is Jesus-like life look for you today? I think Jesus wants to remind us as a church, we've been graced. Let me tell you, we have been blessed abundantly. That's not reason to sit back and relax, and that's not reason to take pride in what we've accomplished. It's reason to worship God who gives justice and love and mercy even to the ungodly. And when Jesus is taking care of us, man, we ought to humble ourselves. And at the right time, Jesus says, we'll be exalted. So as we respond in worship, let me just ask you, where do we need to humble ourselves so that God can put us in the position to lift us up and use us? Where do we need to humble ourselves? One of the ways, and let me just tease it out for you, is in baptism. Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
Baptism is a sign of humility. It's, it's an act of obedience. It doesn't save, but it shows to the world that we have humbled ourselves under God's loving hand and God has raised us up to life. If you've not yet been baptized in water since trusting in Jesus, why not today as an act of worship, an act of humility, an act of obedience, when we open the tables and we open up the tank, come and in Jesus' name be baptized this morning. But now we want to invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God. What areas do you want us to express humility? Even now, even this week. Holy Spirit, what are the areas where pride is creeping in? Holy Spirit, where are we blocking your blessing by simply boasting in things that are just grace gift? Holy Spirit, would you deal with our hearts so that we could be set free and worship you in spirit and in truth and live the way of Jesus? Holy Spirit, come, we ask.